But it's interesting because when you get into talking about abundance, it's also the first thing that gets censored. You know, when I talked about oil is unlimited and I showed a video of oil coming out of the earth, just pouring out of the earth. And actually, I had a bunch of people send me messages going, that's what happens in my backyard all the time. I had oil people who work on oil rigs telling me that's what happens all the time. But what's interesting is they censored that video. Why would they censor something that's abundant to put us back into that fear state of everything is running out? And then, like I said, control. But I've started to see that every single thing is abundant, but we've been taught it's quite the opposite. So if we narrow down those three, our food, our water, and our energy, we pretty much are covered. Greetings and love, you beautiful humans. It's Terrain Theory Podcast co-host Ben Hardy. And today, Mike and I are rejoined by Matt Roski of Cultivate Elevate, he of electroculture fame. If you haven't listened to episode 40, released back in October of 2022, I recommend doing so. Matt's first appearance on this podcast is one of our most downloaded episodes ever, and it provides some important context to this follow-up conversation. Because, dear human, we go deeper with Matt. We wanted to know about using electroculture not just for plant growth, but also to affect human health, to mitigate the effects of geoengineering, and explore other uses. We also get into Matt's take on why society is getting sicker and what we can do about it, why there might be more to mercury and asbestos than we've been told, and the role that cycles, ages, epochs play in the human experience, and where we are right now. We love this man, and we love this conversation. We hope you do too. Welcome back to Terrain Theory. All right, we are live. Matt Roski, Agent Roski, welcome back to the Terrain <laughs> Theory Podcast. Happy to be here. Happy to put out the uh, the truth. You know, that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, the the truth, despite being uh, apparently like controlled opposition, or maybe an FBI agent. Correct. I possibly could be a new age agent. That's uh, kind of <laughs> what I was thinking. You know, that's my the new terminology for me. And but, what would the what would the play be there? That you know, we're going to embed a government agent to tell the truth. I think, yeah, yeah. And then to get followers and then to grow their social media platform and then, you know, all the other funny things that that would be obviously the intention because yeah, they don't control all of the platforms and all of the devices and all of those things. We're going to make people healthy and we're going to have them growing the biggest pumpkins. Biggest pumpkins, 2,000 pound pumpkins. We'll have them, pumpkins. They'll all be corralled in the biggest <laughs> pumpkin patch you've ever seen. <laughs> Matt, all right. So Matt, speaking of making people healthy, let's go the opposite real quick. Why and how is society getting sicker? So there's a combination of a whole bunch of things. I would say first being Wi-Fi and frequencies. That would be number one if I'm going to pick anything. Uh, too much microwave radiation, right? That's what these these devices, Wi-Fi, cell phones, they're, they're pinging microwave radiation. And this was all shown in the book, The Invisible Rainbow. And that's why it's very important to hardwire your devices and get rid of all the wireless technology. Anything without wires, those frequencies are pinging through the body. They impact the, the red blood cells. They impact, impact the brain. They impact the heart. They impact the skin, right? Because it's cooking, It's a cooking technology. And this was shown back in the 70s, the 60s, when they used microwave warfare against people and they saw what happened. 
And so, you know, micro, anything related to Wi-Fi and frequencies can be very toxic to the health. So connecting wires into your devices and hardwiring can be very beneficial and very healing for the body because now you're not having all those frequencies ping the entire time. And also while you sleep, you know, the other thing is when we're trying to rest, we're trying to heal. If we don't sleep properly, we can't heal. And these frequencies can actually impact our sleep, uh, our sleep, sleep patterns. And when we connect those Wi-Fi devices into LED lights, it actually goes hand in hand because LED lights have been shown to emit microwave radiation as well. It says a little warning right on the side of the box when you go to buy an LED light, this device emits microwave radiations based on the FCC and all the other stuff that they say there. And then you also have that blue light spectrum, which is the digital light, which impacts the ability for the melatonin to balance in the mind and for the ability for the body to sleep once again. So if you see all this stuff that they're trying to bring into our homes, even I, I have this theory now with all of the colors that are being emitted from all of these devices, we've gotten rid of artificial flavoring and artificial colors out of our diet, but now we have artificial light and all these colors in which we're not exposed to. So what can they do? They can tire us out. They can cause, you know, attention issues. They can mess with the mind, you know, so it's kind of like this bait and switch where you removed one to add a different one and light impacts us on so many levels. And this was all shown in the book, Dr. John Ott Health and Light, where he showed how much light can actually impact people. So when it comes to bringing in lights into our home, we want to have incandescents, we want to have halogens, we want to use candles, we want to get out in the sun, right? The sun is very, very beneficial, very healing. So we want to avoid things like we said, like Wi-Fi and LEDs. The next step of what we can do is, you know, avoiding bringing in toxic foods into our home opting for organic so that we're not bringing all these pesticides and sprays and chemical foods into our home, which have been pretty much have been stripped of all the nutrients and then lead us to nutritional deficiencies. So growing our own food can be a very big factor for this, right? Getting connected with our food, getting, you know, even implementing electroculture as well, but getting connected to our soil, right? And then also reducing the transportation chain because we have, you know, during that whole transportation of food to the grocery store, they do a lot of weird stuff. They spray a lot of stuff on there. They put some appeal, you know, things on there and all this weird stuff. We don't want to bring any of that into our home because we just mess up our cells, right? We're poisoning ourselves, if you think about it, and then wondering why we're not healthy, right? Because we're bringing the poison into our body. The other one we can move into that can be messing with people's health is the water. Right? If we're not drinking structured water or water that has been energized and is very powerful, then what can happen is, is it will begin to destructure our body. Right, A lot of people with all this tap water, you have chlorine and fluoride in there. Both of those play a detrimental role on the red blood cell count of the body, the brain, the skin, the, the, the health of the cells. Right, um, It even lowers testosterone and hormones and causes imbalances with those combinations as well. So structured water... You know, going through a distillation is very powerful. You know, you can look into reverse osmosis. You can look into hydrogen water. You can look into brown gas. You can go into so many different things. You can stir it with a silver spoon just to bring back the structure, you know, and you can stir it both directions and that will bring back the structure. You could place the water up to your heart and that will begin to structure the water as well with the work of Veda Austin. So, you know, the water, you have the food. You have the Wi-Fi, you have the frequencies. And then I would say the last ones that are pretty much a very big ones, but are kind of hidden that we don't pay attention to. 
would be, those would be things like fragrance, anything scented, right? Because there's over 13,000 chemicals in fragrance. They do not have to disclose anything in the fragrance industry, right? So they can be putting all types of petroleum-based chemicals in the fragrance products, and those can be going onto the body, causing all types of allergic reaction, known as seasonal allergies, right? People <laughs> going, I got seasonal allergies. Well, you're allergic to what you're putting onto your skin, and your skin is your largest organ. So things like fragrance can really mess people up. And then if we move into another one, which also is, is altering our health and lowering things quite a lot, is the clothing in which we wear. If we're wearing things like polyester, it has been shown when you do a muscle test and you wear polyester, you can basically just push your hand completely down instantaneously because the polyester has been shown to weaken all of the cells. There's a negative static charge, which is accumulated over time as you're wearing polyester, which is plastic, right? So if you're wearing plastic, you're actually weakening your body over time. And this was shown with Dr. John Ott's book. He said three things make society weak, and it's very simple. One was radio frequencies, which was the first one we covered, everything related to these devices and trying to give you wireless everything. The next one is artificial lights, right? Going into a setting with artificial lights like fluorescence, LEDs, and all of those things. And then the last one is plastic clothing, which is usually made from polyester and all those different types of materials. And if you go into the gym, what do they usually have? All three of those, right? Mm -hmm. So they're naturally weakening society by putting all of this stuff and promoting it and saying, it's even crazy. Even with the clothing, they'll say like, we'll recycle water bottles and you can wear them. I don't right. want to wear that. Right? I don't <laughs> want to wear a water bottle. It doesn't make any sense. You know? Mm -hmm. So when we really start thinking about this, it's like you're trying to take this trash or pollution and then put it in my home and trying to resell it to me in a different way. Similar to all the stuff we saw with the 1900s and the takeovers is they were selling snake oil to a lot of people and doing a lot of snake oil and stuff that wasn't even, you know, it's just a bottle of water and this water will fix everything. Same exact thing, but these things are actually detrimental to our health. And those I would say are pretty much the top, you know, five or six, which are really impacting us as a full society. Matt, last time you came on the show, we devoted a lot of time to electroculture, which is something that you've become really well known for disseminating this information and also sharing examples of, of folks who are starting to implement it in their gardens and looking at their results. And this is electroculture for purposes of growing your food. I have a question about electroculture and its application to affect our health as humans. So I would say there's a lot of things which we could, we could talk about with that. So if we look at the old cathedrals, right, they used to have thousands of antennas on top of them. They also used to have stained glass windows, which basically as soon as you entered into the cathedral, your body would take on the water, the same structure as those stained glass windows, right? So they were very healing, but those antennas on top were gathering all the atmospheric energy and can also cause a lot of healing. So we could actually start implementing these types of designs, these types of drawings, these types of sacred geometry, right? These different materials using clays, using terracotta, you know, using quartz, using lapis, using magnetite, using lodestones, right? All these different types of materials. We could start incorporating them into our daily lives and also into our building, right? Like when we build things, we should be using natural materials. We should not be using Rockefeller concrete, right? If you look into the pattern of concrete, you could see that it has blood in it, right? That's the when you get deep into it. So 
something interesting to think about. And then on top of that, you know, we use DuPont plastic and plastic blocks the ether. It blocks the ability for the energy to transition and, and, and move. So if we're using all these materials, which are not resonating at the same frequency as our body, they will cause health issues over time. This is why when people who basically lived out of nature were corralled into places in which they were not living in nature anymore, they were put into a box or a square or whatever it may be, they started getting all kinds of health issues that they never had because they're disconnected from nature. So the more we bring these different types of materials and these different types of antennas and we do these different types of fractal uh, designs inside of our house and use all these different things, the more we can uplift our frequency, right? It has been shown, for example, if you sit underneath a copper pyramid, you can begin to heal like that. Because what's happening is, is there's a change in the ether. There's a spiral that occurs and it causes your cells to begin to spiral back the opposite direction, the healing direction. And we could be using things like that, right? We could be using all these different shapes. We could be using you know, decahedrons, dodecahedrons, and all the different, you know, things that we've been learning about of all these different sacred geometry designs. And then also, if we take it a step further, you can move into crop circles, right? Sitting in crop circles can be very beneficial. You're sitting in a shape and a design and that shape and design, your body will take that on and begin to heal. So we could be using things like electroculture, frequencies, you know, sacred geometry, you know, different types of quartz and lapis and all these different stones to heal ourselves on multiple different ways. But we've been disconnected from that because our typical system expects us to be unhealthy so they can keep making money off of us, where we can be using this to keep ourselves healthy and also improve future generations. What's fascinating is as I got into a lot of the work of all of these things, you know, they were saying that people were growing larger, you know, plants were bigger, animals were bigger, you know, there's all these things. So it really makes you wonder how large things can truly be and how healthy they can be, because we've seen quite the opposite during all these little mini resets over the 1900s. Well, I've seen and I know Mike would would back me up here, uh, photo evidence that humans used to be maybe a bit taller. Yeah, I mean, they have photos of people being 10 feet to 20 feet tall. They have mm. photos of people being 50 feet tall. They have bones, right? They have bones that have been found in the Azor Islands and the Canary Islands with the ganchos of people who were, I believe, 15 feet tall. They had red hair and green eyes, right? So, you know, when you go into that, it makes you wonder, who are they? And then if you go into South America and you go into Peru, they had same thing. People with longer, longer skulls and who were very tall. You know, so it makes you wonder who are they too, and why aren't we learning about them, right? Why aren't we taught about any of this? We're always taught about what we've been told with the Oregon Trail, and everybody's coming over on horse and wagon. Why aren't we learning about these people who are fifteen to twenty feet tall, and where did they come from, right? Were they here? Were they underground? Did they live in the caverns that are deep inside the earth, right? We have caverns that go, I mean, thousands of feet below us. Who built all of that? Right. I don't think people were sitting with a shovel scooping that out because that would take a long time. And if we went based on the life expectancy that we were told where people were only living, say, 20 or 30 years, what was their whole life dedicated towards shoveling out of you know, a small <laughs> hole? That doesn't make any sense because were they doing it as a baby? You know, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't add up. Yeah, certainly the uh, the public school history textbooks are long overdue a rewrite. 
And I would nominate you, Matt, to be one of those co-writers. <laughs> I, I have a question. If, if money was no object and you were to design and build a home based on some of the, the principles that you've learned, like what would, what would that home look like? What would, it, what would its shape be? What would the materials be? What would you put inside it? What wouldn't you put inside it? Ooh, that's fun. So I think that would use a lot of different, I would use a lot of different metals, right? A lot of brass, a lot of copper, a lot of gold, a lot of silver, right? Those are all very powerful resonating metals, which were used in alchemy. And then I would probably use a lot of quartz. I would use crypto quartz, which is the bloodstone. I'd also use some lapis lazuli, right? They say that the kings and the queens used to build things out of lapis, which is very interesting when you think about this beautiful blue stone and how they used to always use it to build things. So I would use a lot of lapis. I would use some lodestones. I would use a lot of different materials from the earth, different clays, different types of granite, right? Different types of basalt, all these different materials. And I would build this beautiful structure in which people could go in, they could meditate and they could chant, right? Because we know that sound vibration in these areas with these types of materials can uplift the energy and cause people to heal quicker, but also cause the body to actually move outside of the body, right? And I've experienced this. I've gone into old world buildings and started chanting, and I can feel my actual body moving above the body, almost like a third person perspective sitting above the head, right? Almost like video games, right? They always give you a third person perspective. So same exact thing. Where did they get that perspective from? They might've known some things before they created that game. But, you know, I would build it out of all those different materials so that people can begin to heal and also to uplift the terrain, right? Because those materials, also animals start to come, birds, bees, pollinators, right? They pick up on all this stuff too. And that's the other thing. As we uplift one area, it is a much larger aura, I would say, than what we can see with our visible eye. So, you know, when I look back in the past, a lot of these buildings were built out of all of these materials, they used all this stuff. So then the question is, is where did they find it all, right? How did they get it? Where did they get 100,000 pounds of gold, right, to build a bell? And think about building a beautiful bell on top of that building, too, and the resonance and vibration that would come from when that bell rings at, say, 100,000 or 200,000 pounds. You'd wake up the whole town, right? The whole town would be sitting there hearing these frequencies or those pipe organs, probably put a pipe organ in there as well, too, because why not? You know, these pipe organs were just absolutely just marvelous, right? And now imagine playing those, how loud that would be and what that would do. It would pretty much, it would rattle your soul. It wouldn't just rattle your bones. It would rattle your soul and maybe connect you to a higher consciousness in which we haven't been exposed to because our frequencies have been dimmed by all of these synthetic materials in which we use. Mm-hmm. We, we had a guest on recently, Dr. Rob Williams, who is a co-founder of a, of a site and an organization called OurGeoEngineeringAge.org, and taking an evidence-based approach to examining this, this conversation of geoengineering and weather modification. And you've talked about this a number of times on a number of different channels, and, and we had a question about using electroculture or similar to mitigate some of the effects of geoengineering. What's your experience with that? So there's a couple things people can do, and they can use electroculture. And I've shown some videos where people have placed electroculture antennas in their backyard, and their sky is completely blue compared to everything around them. 
right? And also people can look into Wilhelm Reich's Cloudbuster. Wilhelm Reich was, you know, put in jail and imprisoned basically because I believe their his invention at that time was going to counter what they were about to start in the 1950s, right? Because weather engineering and all of that that started to take place started at just about that time. They used it for World War II and World War I resets, right? And all of the stuff they were doing at that time. But 1950s is when it pretty much went full in effect and they started using it a lot. And Wilhelm Reich came up with this device in which you could basically place in your backyard and you could spray it with water or connect it to a spring or to your well. And what it would do is it would pull that stuff out of the air. You know, so I've seen electroculture videos do this. I've seen myself do it. I've, you know, you can draw into the earth and you can do things. Quartz can do it as well, too. But, you know, there's multiple different things. We have to do things on a grand scale, you know, and that's where I think the electroculture is working on its way. It's doing it on the whole, the whole planet is involved, right? And that's why I think a lot of these antennas were removed in the 1900s to the 1940s from a lot of these old world buildings because they were balancing out everything. They weren't collecting lightning, right? There's all the lightning and lightning rods and whatever else. Honestly, because think about how a, a lightning would strike and it would strike them all and the whole building would be gone in seconds, right? Because it would just keep getting hit by lightning. It doesn't make a lot of sense that they were collecting or balancing lightning from hitting. And it's also interesting because when I was researching in this, the buildings of the 1900s were 18-inch walls, right? They were completely fireproof. So if they have 18-inch walls, those lightning rods don't make any sense. Why do they need those? There's, there, there's no fire threat, right? But we've been told the opposite. So with that, yeah, you can use different types of antennas to balance out what's above, right? Because every time you look up, it's also down here too. And there's a, it's almost kind of like an hourglass, you know, of a reflection of what's above is also below as well too. Do you know, do you know exactly what's happening when you use electroculture to, 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 to start to mitigate some of whatever is being sprayed up there? So up in the air, the higher you go up, there's more, it's, it's like gas, right? That's the best way to describe it. And they're putting a whole bunch of chemical concoctions, which react based on the temperature and the sun hitting that concoction at the same time. And then it creates, starts to create this formation of a cloud, we'll say. I don't really believe it's a cloud, but it's a chemical formation of a cloud or something that resembles a cloud. And so what happens is, is when you're putting these antennas onto the earth, what you're doing is you're changing the frequency, right? Because what they're doing up above is they're trying to dim our frequencies. This stuff is very heavy. It's very dense, Right. And it's it's compact and then it starts to get all dark and then the rain comes and they hit it with the frequency and everything else. But when you're placing these antennas on the earth, what you're doing is you're sending a frequency up. You're sending Mother Earth's frequency up towards the sky, which is trying to balance all that out. And what I've learned is with these antennas is that the frequency of the earth is hundreds and hundreds of, if not thousand times stronger than whatever is going on up in the air and all these man-made Wi-Fi frequencies and things like that, right? Because, and the reason I say that is because when people start placing these, they start getting animals from, or bees or insects or pollinators from places they've never seen, that never were even in the existence of that area in which they were living. So how can they pick up on that unless they're coming from a very far distance mm. to see that energy? So, and I've realized that nature came first, right? All of everything else came second. So, you know, basically what you're doing is you're balancing 
the ether, that beautiful energy that's all around us, because they're trying to destructure the ether, just like they're trying to destructure our water and our bodies and our cells and all of those things at the same time. Yeah, it's really remarkable how much of modern society, the things that we're told are will make our lives more convenient, better or improved, really just do the opposite of all that. Pretty much, you know, and it's sold as a bait and switch. You know, this will make your life easier and faster with this, but you're going to lose something over here. It kind of reminds me of like that the movie The Little Mermaid. She trades her voice, you know, for that for her love or whatever it may be, but then when she gets her love, she can't talk to her love, mm. right? So it's, it's kind of like you're getting the switch. So, you know, the more we connect back into nature and the more we connect back into the past of books and all of this information that's all connected to it, the more we can kind of bring that stuff all forward today in 2023. And that's what I'm starting to see happen is people are experimenting with things in which they would never experiment with because the minds are starting to open in a different way in which we've been so closed off for such a long period. Yeah, the uh, consistency of your message is very inspiring, Matt, and I, I'm noticing it as well. And I think I think what we're learning is we, we live in a Band-Aid culture, right, where we feel ill and then we want to like go find a solution. But what we're talking about is just building these solutions into day-to-day life. And this just came up yesterday, this idea of convenience as essentially a, a, it decimates what is sacred. I mean, spring water is sacred, right? Having a connection with knowing where a spring is. And is tap water convenient? Yes. And washing machines and dishwashers, like we, we use these devices, but you lose that connection that you didn't even know you had prior to the convenience rolling into society. So, you know, there's a balance to be struck, but before you can even strike that balance, you have to acknowledge that there's a balance that was lost. Yes. And I I, I totally agree with you. And that's the same thing with getting back into nature and growing food, right? You see how much work goes into that. You see the care and love and compassion. First, when you just go to the store and you just pick whatever, right? The energetic principle of things are completely different. And you've removed all of that, right? You removed all of that work in which has taken place. And it's just right there instantaneous. And that instantaneous, let's say, pleasure, right, is not going to give you the same energy in which you were attempting to receive, you know, or when you were going through this process. And the convenience factor of things coming faster and faster and faster or shorter or whatever it may be also then miss the whole story, right? Because it's kind of like if you wrote a book, and you try to write it in three pages, you can't put all the information. There's so many other parts that come with that and piecing them all together. And if we remove all of that, then we just have like a paragraph of information, you know, and it changes the whole thing. And like you said, with water, water has to go through a process. It has to go through a vortex. It has to spin. It has to spiral, right? That's what water does. It's always spiraling. It's always going through a vortex. So if we build in straight lines, right, and water is flowing in straight lines, then we're removing the precious sacred energy of the water by doing that. Mm. Matt, what's your take on the climate change narrative? We're talking about geoengineering and ostensibly something like geoengineering is being used to combat human-caused climate change. Um, But carbon bad, the sun is bad, we need to dim the earth. What is your take on all of that? Well, the first one is the sun is very healthy. 
and this is very important to always be aware of. We're always told to stay out of the sun, but the sun is our battery, right? It charges all of our cells. It energizes all of us. And through the book, Dr. John Ott, Health and Light, he explained that the healthiest cultures in the world are exposed to the most UV, right? So if the UVs are dangerous and all of this other stuff, then why are the healthiest cultures exposed to the most of it? And they're the healthiest, right? That contradicts everything in which we've been told. They also don't fund any studies of the benefits of the sun because it goes against the sick care system, right? Because if a person just sits out in the sun for a couple hours a day, they can fix everything. It used to be called sunbathing back in about 1902. They tell you to go do some sunbathing, you'll be good, drink some salt water and have maybe a pinch of ginger, you'll be fixed like that. You know, so that's the first part, right? The sun the, of what they tell us and whatever. Now, the second part of that whole situation is the alteration of the weather that's taking place, right? They have been altering the weather with putting aluminum, barium, strontium, and other heavy metals and other cocktails up into the air for about the last 70 years, right? But they've turned it up in about the last 20, I would say. You know, you see these weather events and things like that, or like these complete shifts of the temperature in such a short amount of time of things like, you know, winter going towards June or May, things that don't even make any sense. You know, there are things that they're definitely doing. And what they're doing is, is they're trying to alter the weather and manipulate things so that they can say it's our fault. Now, what's interesting is when we look at a lot of the things in which we could be using instead, right? We could be using the water car, which was invented in 1976, right? It ran off water. Since we're never running out of water, which that myth has been dispelled as well, we could be using water for almost everything. If you look back in the 1900s, they used water, which was steam, and they actually had electricity and gas back then. They had everything very efficient, but it was only until the Rockefellers took over the narrative and changed everything that we became inefficient. And what's even more fascinating is there was a car from 1902 that got 450 miles to the tank and could drive 75 miles per hour the entire time on that tank. So think of that efficiency that we had back then. So why do I still have a car that is supposedly, you know, giving off bad emissions and not getting good gas mileage and contributing to the climate and those things when we had better technology back then and we had all this. And so what I'm seeing is, is that they're using this weather alteration as a way to usher in carbon taxes to say that it's your fault. You know, it's the food that you're eating. It's the farmers, right? Blame the farmers. Why are they trying to blame the farmers? They're trying to blame the farmers so that they can get us off the land. They want us eating lab-grown food, bugs, you know, all these things, all these weird things, right? Like, it doesn't even make any sense. It's like you're not even human that you want to just eat all this weird stuff that's created in a lab because you're not connected to nature. So what they're trying to do is bombard the airs and the skies so that they can try to tell us that it's our fault so they can usher in taxes and they can control the narrative. It can also move us into carbon taxes and it can move us into social credit scores, right? You have not been a good citizen because you've been out driving and having too much fun. You've been going to the forest too many times this week, right? <laughs> it's all forms of control. Now, what's interesting, and I want to just say this so everybody is aware of this, the companies that produce the petroleum, right? All of those companies, they also own all the patents to all the electric vehicles, right? Because they were around during that time. So all they're doing is they're shifting from one, which is, let's say, petrol-based or fossil fuels, 
to electric base because they already own all those patents. So they're just going to make the same amount of money as they shift from one. And then when they say the electric didn't work, guess what we'll go back to? The fossil fuels and the, the petrol. And it's just a swinging of the bell. But what's missing is all the technology that has been used that is free in between. And that doesn't cause the same pollution, right? If we really wanted to save the planet, wouldn't we ban plastic, right? Mm. Plastic is floating in the ocean. We know whales and turtles are eating it. Wouldn't we ban plastic? Wouldn't we go back to hemp, right? We used to use hemp. Hemp was natural. It was built out of everything. Wouldn't we use that? But we don't do that. We usher in different rules and regulations, which are taking away things from people's life. Like, for example, the incandescent bulb. Right? They're trying to take away the incandescent bulb because it's using too much energy. But if we look back in the time of the 1900s, they used to use these things called dynamos, which would basically create energy. And they could light with a little tiny dynamo that only has two horsepower. They could light up 4,000 bulbs. So who is telling me about how we don't have enough energy to produce anything, where if they were doing that in 1902, why can't we do that now? Right. And it's just a very, in my opinion, a very bait and switch, you know, of things because we've had all these beautiful things, but they don't want to use any of that. And they want to bombard the skies over here and then blame everybody as a society. And when you get into it very deeply, the educational system is owned by the Rockefellers. Right. They bought it all out. They donated tens of millions of dollars all throughout the 1900s to the 1975 to now, to 2022, and all the nonsense we saw in 2020, you know, they put a lot of money into that. So they have a very large amount of control to teach the narrative that they want to teach. I, I mentioned this, I think, in our previous episode, that narrative is really just the polite way of saying mind control. I mean, they're, you can basic, they're interchangeable. I, I, they are to me now, as I look at it through, through sort of my more awakened yeah. lens. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with you, right? You tell somebody a narrative and then you don't teach them the truth. And that's why, like, I go into old books and I'll show you guys real quick, just an old book here real quick. It's called The World's Progress and it's called Knowledge, Science and Industry. And this book right here is from 1902. And all of the technology in which we are sitting on right now all existed in this book in 1902. And then when you go into the books of 1888, in 1876 and 1853 of all the world fairs, they all had the same technology, right? So nothing is new under the sun. The stuff was already there. But if you teach people a scarcity mindset, mm. you can control them and put them into fear. And then when they're in that fear, you can then take over their lifestyle and tell them that they are not doing things correctly. And then you can make them do the things that you want to do. But if you see it from a different standpoint, which is what I'm always about, then you see things completely different, right? You, you can see through all the stories in which we've been told. Yeah, well, the genius, the genius of these, these power brokers is that it's not just that they create the conditions that, and then usher in the, the control policies and laws. It's that they get the population begging to be controlled, they get the population begging for the restrictions on meat and on carbon emissions and on driving petro, you know, petro-driven cars and, and so on. I mean, that that's that to me is is the genius there. And I don't know how to break out of that. 
Well, I think what's going to start happening is I've been talking a lot about stuff with mercury. I've been talking about stuff with radium. You know, I've been talking about stuff with some different types of gases. And I think as people start learning about different things and kind of looking into different ways in which they used to source energy, like the dynamo, right? People can look up the dynamos of the 1800s. That's what was in all those old world buildings. That's what was producing all of their electricity. They're actually really easy to build. You just take iron, copper, and magnets, and you could build the dynamo. Sounds a lot like electroculture, right? Mm. Same exact thing. So you're replicating that beautiful energy. The larger you build them, the more energy that they produce. And people can look into all the patents. There's books on how to design them. There's so much information. But that's what we have to start doing. We have to start looking into what people were using. And as we start doing that, we'll start coming up with ideas, right? As they try to get rid of, for example, a light bulb, we could design something new or design something from the past and bring it back and just use that instead, like carbon arc light bulbs, right? Everybody can look into that. They were actually called the moonlight light bulb, but it was the carbon arc light bulb and it used carbon. And as the carbon would basically bounce between each other, it would create a light bulb and they would be able to light for hours and be super bright. You could actually see them from uh, miles away, right? So there's a lot of things in which we can be looking into that are what we used to do, and we could be bringing those things back. And if every person, you know, and that's the whole point of why I talk about these things, but if every person could do something, even if it's just one or two things, yeah. those two things or those one things or that those things start to disrupt the plans in which they try to push, right? Because that's the other thing. If we just sit back and say, well, you know, they're just going to do it. Well, then they're just going to do it. But if we all take an initiative, just like we took in 2020 and 2021, where people just said, I'm not part of this and I'm not doing it, all of a sudden they go, well, we don't know what to do now. <laughs> They're not listening. So we have to do that same exact thing. Yeah. Although, you know, carbon arc light bulb sounds pretty dangerous. It's got carbon in it. And uh, I want to blame you and the carbon arc light bulb for my ice cubes melting faster <laughs> as I drink my lemonade, Matt. <laughs> um, Actually, it is, we might not be able to have that because that's carbon, right? They would try to say that there's too much carbon. There'd be there carbon it is, right? And whatever. So they actually, yeah, that might be uh, that might be too dangerous to bring back. You know, it's, quotes, it's, air quotes. I, I should say that out loud because people are listening. Well, and while we're on that subject, can could you speak here. a little bit about mercury? Because I know that this seems to be central to how a lot of the old world buildings potentially worked. What do you know about mercury? So a lot of the antennas that used to be up on top of these old world buildings and cathedrals, they used to have an antenna on top known as a lightning rod. That's what they told us. And then there was a ball that was below it. And usually that ball, I've came to the conclusion, had iron. It was built out of iron. It was wrapped in brass and it had mercury in the inside. Yeah. And what's interesting is, is if you take mercury and you begin to spin it, right, the faster you spin it, the more voltage it will begin to create, Right. So, you know, when we go into, for example, the like Vedic, you know, Vedic uh, papers and Vedic journals and things like that, they used mercury in their levitation devices, right? So they had these devices which would levitate. What they would do is they would cause a vortex or a spin and that, 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 that levitation device would begin to go up. And this is all what Victor Schauberger showed too, right? He showed that if we use vortexes, you can create energy all the time. And you can use cold energy as well. We use all this heat and right. combustion and inefficient energy. He said the automobile is 13% efficient 
for the gas in which we're getting. So yeah. back to the climate, why aren't we improving the efficiency, right? It kind of makes sense. Why, why are we using only 13%, you know, which translates to we should be getting about 300 miles to the gallon instead of the maybe 13 or, or 20 that we get. You know, so when you get into mercury, it's a very interesting substance. And it's also fascinating because I, I have a theory that mercury is alive. It's mm. the exact same thing as water, right? Mm. So water is just another form. And you have mercury over here. They're both liquids, which are conscious. And it's fascinating, too, because when you go deep into these pyramids, they had pools of mercury underneath them, right? All over the world, they had these, these mercury pools. What were they using that for? Right. They always tell us they're put in bodies, you know, and whatever, burying people and whatever. But it's like it doesn't make any sense that you have pools of it. Now, the other question is, is if you have pools of it, how much exists on the planet? Is it already below us? Is it like water where it's just constantly being created? And so what you would do is you would hit maybe a vein and it would have mercury or maybe you would hit a vein and it would have water. You know, these are all things that we have to start asking. But a lot of those old world buildings, they used mercury in them. And then if you look into the, 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 the things designed with red mercury, which a lot, which was used in World War II, same exact thing. They showed very interesting properties, levitation, devices. The other interesting thing about red mercury was they showed it when it's placed in front of a mirror, it doesn't show a reflection. Hmm. You know, So a lot of interesting things that we can't answer. And what is a mirror? It's a crystal. And it's usually, I believe, obsidian. Or, yeah, it's the stone of obsidian. And then that's what the reflection is. So why doesn't it reflect? But it's a very fascinating substance. And as I've learned more into it and just researched and, you know, whatever, it just, it's something that if we were to connect, those old world buildings had a lot of it and they were, it was up there. So they had to have been using it something for the energy that they needed at that time or part of the conductivity that goes up and down, just like a battery and a cathode and a cathedral and all of those things, they're all interconnected as one big power generator. And I think mercury has a well-played role inside of it. I love it. And to state the obvious, of course, we're raised in a culture that that teaches us to be very afraid of mercury, that it's poisonous. The Mad Hatter myth, you know, the Hatters used mercury to soften their belts or whatever, and they chewed on it and they lost their minds. I mean, that's basically our only touchstone talking point for mercury in, in this culture and thermometers and thermometers. And those are what reactions to the sun and the temperature and they yeah. begin to rise. So think about what it's doing on its own. It's yep. changing and shifting just yep. based on the temperature, you know, so it's creating energy to do that, right? It doesn't just anything else you placed in there. It's not going to change, right? You pour some water in there nothing's going to change, but the mercury, start to rise you know so the question is is does mercury begin to rise or change during full moons and eclipses and different types of energetic timelines right yeah well maybe around the super moon maybe things change even more maybe things levitate during that time right you know these are things that are another part of something we should talk about yeah that's just where we wanted to take this conversation next is this idea of cycles um cosmologic cycles, even the cycles within a month, a moon, the moon, the sun. Uh, it's something I've been looking more into uh, the, as uh, the 12 cell salts, the work of, uh, I know Steve Falconer has been talking a lot about this and um, George Carey, George Washington Carey's work. 
where are you at in terms of like, uh, I guess we'd call it micro cycles month to month or, or day to day, but also like large epic epoch cycles and golden ages and bronze ages and silver ages. How, how much have you looked into this? So when I look into the past, I feel that there was a golden age occurring only less than 200 years ago. You think that recently? What'd you say? You think that recently? I think that recently, right? Because when you really look at the timeline of things in these books, right, there's, it's very close. You know, a lot of this stuff seems very like all of a sudden one day, 10 people started creating all the same exact thing and decided to reinvent a lot of this technology, which means it has to be very close. It would be very hard if you found, let's say you found a piece of technology from 10,000 years ago, right? Let's say it's all decomposed, it's been rained on, it's been ruined and whatever. It'd be very hard to bring that technology back. You could, but it would just be covered in dust and stone and, and rusted and everything else maybe. So it'd be very hard. But a lot of the stuff that came recently in the last, say, 200 years seems like it's fairly new. Like it's, it's very recent. And as we get into timelines too, You know, the more I've gone into the past and looked at these things, it's like every, you know, X amount of years, there has been these resets, right? There is a reset in a certain place in which other people did not know that they were taking place. And what's interesting is a lot of those times I was reading this one book, they were talking about things happen during an eclipse, right? Why during the eclipse? And it's almost because, you know, you have this moon, which is this basically plasma ball blocking out the sun. And then certain events would occur. And Archaics talked a lot about that with like Phoenix events and things like that, which is very fascinating with his work as well, too. But, you know, with the timelines of things, you know, every year our calendar is incorrect, right? We have 13 moons, but we have 12 months. You know, our timeline of what we've been told when you match up the dates, don't go to the dates in which we've been told, right? But the only thing I can see with my eyes, at least, is what the moon does every 28 days, right? I can see that physically. But a lot of our timelines, you know, when we look at these cycles, it's like they're cycles of when things happen. And I feel like right now we're in a cycle in which things are pretty much going up, right? It's accelerating at positivity. It's accelerating at eyes opening, awakenings, all these things occurring at the same time. And it's almost like, you know, you had the cycle previous, which was this toxic cycle, but now we're moving to this positive, almost like golden age of enlightenment or whatever word you want to call it that's occurring now. And I feel like everything happens in those types of periods. And when we get into the moons, right, like this year alone, we have four super moons and I believe two eclipses. That's a lot of energy. This is also the 11 year solar cycle of the sun, which is a lot of energy as well, too. Right. So when we follow these paths of I say the sun and the moon, just to keep it really simple, when we follow those paths, we can see a lot of that impacts us, too, and the way our brains work. And when we take it back to what we were talking about with the bombardments going up in the air, that's to lower our frequency. If you ever notice, a lot of that bombardment takes place on a full moon and a new moon. Right. Right. Or a sunset and a sunrise. Why? Those are the highest energetic points in which our mind starts to receive different types of downloads in our, for it to connect it to our consciousness. You know, so you see what they're trying to dim of the frequencies. And when you start paying attention to all these different cycles, you can see this almost like a technology advancement that took place in such a short amount of time in those cycles too. And I think it's all very fairly connected. We've just been disconnected because 
we don't even go and see the stars anymore, right? We don't even notice what's in the air because of all the light pollution. And we don't even see what's going on above us. So if we can't pay attention to that, we can't even map anything and understand anything that's going above and start to basically be able to predict what things are going to occur because we've been so disconnected from our sky, which then could disconnect us from the earth. Yeah, I like that. You just put this idea in my head. I'd been, because this is sort of new terrain for me, diving into this idea of like the Kali Yuga and cycles. But I've been operating from this idea that these are like impossibly long uh, time spans to even fathom, like 24,000 years in the sky clock. But I, I and, that, and that all may be very real, but I like the idea that also we have quicker, shorter cycles that are ju- maybe just as powerful. And that, again, the pendulum swings both ways. I like the idea. I think I had this sort of like victim mentality, like, oh, fuck, we got to wait another 2000 years before we're on the upswing again. Well, it maybe it's not. Maybe it, it, it it's like it's that fractal thing where it's, it's layers upon layers and layers. There's the big cycle, there's the bigger one, and then there's the very intimate, real close-by cycles. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think I think the fabrication of saying something is 10 million years ago kind of makes it so that it doesn't feel that it can be real. Yeah, I think that's the whole point of that, right? Like the pyramids were built 10 right. million years ago. But if you found out that the pyramids were built, let's say 250 years ago, <laughs> You would really change your whole perspective of everything, right? You would sit and rethink, wait, what? They were doing what? You know, how did they do that? Wait a minute. Wait, we were on horse and wagon and a boat and a wood boat and whatever else. How were they doing that? Right. And then who built them? And then who understood all of the materials? It changes the whole perspective. And I think that's, again, once of the once part of that narrative of instilling that things are so far away, we can't figure them out. But in reality, it's very recent and people were doing it and people were doing it all over the world. And I think that's the part that, you know, we really have to connect back into. I love it. Matt, you say that we're in a golden age. You, you sense or feel that we are in a golden age and that people are awakening. But at the same time, we see phrases uttered by the power brokers that we're in a, a great reset. We're in the midst of a great reset. So how do you reconcile those two notions? I mean, you know, they're always going to tell you the bad news. Right. That's what we're always told, the bad news. We're never told the good news. We're never told about how many people are growing their own food. Right. I get thousands of messages at this point of how many people are growing their own food, taking back their independence, growing on their balcony, growing in their home, growing in their basement, growing in their backyard. Right. There's so many people growing food. We don't ever talk about that, but we always talk about food shortages. But it seems to me that a lot of people have a lot of food. Right. And I can go outside right now and I could actually find you food. I could get you some mesquite. I could get you some uh, berries off the cactus. I could get you a lot of food. Right. So I feel the narrative is always showing this bad, 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 because they got to keep us in that frequency. If we see that things are good, we will start changing our daily habits. Right. We will start thinking differently. We will start raising each other's vibration. We will start bringing each other up. But if we keep everybody in a bad fear frequency that every day, kind of like this whole debt thing going on, right? The debt thing. Guess what? Four years ago, they pulled the exact same move. They pulled the exact same move, the debt ceiling and blah, 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 just like they pulled the same move in 1976 as 2020, right? It's always the same playbook. So if you look into the past, you can see they just try to play the same thing and they just try to see what people will go for. But the cool thing is, is as we learn how to grow our own food, get our own water, and then establish our own energy, which are three very easy things to do. 
what part do you get controlled on now? Right? Mm. There's no there's no more control. Maybe maybe with the internet, but guess what? If you look up Mr. Stubbenfield, he actually created a telephone in which you could use the Earth's energy to communicate between each other. Just by taking a rod and sticking it into the Earth, we can communicate up to thousands and thousands of miles away. So I don't even need this technically, right? I could communicate with you that way. Or we could create more things using the Schumann Residence, which is what the U.S. Navy uses to communicate across the planet. So, you know, when we really look at it, I see it in a very different light because I see all everything in which I keep seeing and people message and, and talk about and show in abundance. But it's interesting because when you get into talking about abundance, it's also the first thing that gets censored. You know, when I talked about oil is unlimited and I showed a video of oil coming out of the earth, just pouring out of the earth. And actually, I had a bunch of people send me messages going, that's what happens in my backyard all the time. I had oil people who work on oil rigs telling me that's what happens all the time. But what's interesting is they censored that video. Why would they censor something that's abundant to put us back into that fear state of everything is running out? And then, like I said, control. But I've started to see that every single thing is abundant, but we've been taught it's quite the opposite. So if we narrow down those three, our food, our water, and our energy, we pretty much are covered, right? There's not much to be reliant on anymore. And then there's nobody to control all of those things as well. And then people can start learning about land patents and everything else. You know, there's so much of where you could take that, but I see it very differently than what's put it out there. And that frequency is to get you in there, right? They try to come up with new stories. They don't even know what to come up with anymore because nobody's paying attention, number one. But they try to come up with new things to try to pull you back in because they got to get you somehow, you know. And if we stop paying attention, then we then take back our power as well because we start doing other things which are not connected into this system, which is just trying to keep us like a revolving door coming back for more. Yeah. I love your tenacity, Matt. It's so inspiring. The first post I ever had uh, flagged or I got a warning on was because I used the word decentralization. (laughs) It's very similar. Abundance is a no, no. And decentralization is a no, no. Uh, it's just, it's, and I love the word that you use all the time. It's just goofy. (laughs) That's what it is. And I actually posted about the second amendment the other day and that got flagged about 500 times. And it's interesting because the last sent- sentence in there is that if if the you know political people decide to take over, it is the citizen's duty yeah. to not allow that to occur. And that's what that was created for. But it's funny because it got flagged by f- like 500 things. They just completely and I'm like, it's that's what it says. That's exactly what it says. <laughs> and also, it's like, how do we we have this system where it's just it's it is it is just goofy. You know, because everything that is true, you're flagging and saying is false, but it can be shown it is true. So how can you say it's false? You're just making it up because you want to confuse people so that they don't want to look at it and they might think it's something else. But in reality, the truth is there and it and it shines much brighter than the, the darkness and the nonsense we've been taught. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that statement that I think the the truth has its own resonance and it always, always wins and it always comes through. And I think that people, when they come out from under this shroud of fear, they feel it and they see it and they know it. They know it and they recognize it and they walk towards it. Yeah, your body, you know, 
it's like giving a baby, you know, uh, something, right? They know what's right and what's wrong or a mm. kid or anything, right? They know what's right or wrong. But if they've been, you know, just brainwashed, you know, because that's what it is, brainwashing for 18 to 22 years, they don't know what's right from wrong. They also don't use their creative insights anymore, right? They don't use the creative inside that just determines things. They don't use their gut instinct. These are all things which are traits we have, which are being disabled. Our sixth sense, right? Abilities to pick up on energy, all being diminished so that we can be controlled and corralled. But when we start to disconnect, go out into nature and really connect ourselves, we really see something completely the opposite. And we should be teaching every child, every person, all of our aunts and uncles. We should learn from our elders, right? We should all be connected. We should not fall into the divide and conquer tactics in which they are attempting to use to disconnect us. Because as I got into this old world history, I have realized that when we look at the past, there was a unified society building the exact same way across the world, which would mean if they were all building the same way, they were talking to one another. They were connected. They weren't disconnected from each other because how did they know all to build the exact same way in every country, every continent, everything, right? But we've been told people are fighting and the narrative of fighting, fighting, fighting. But I think things are a lot more peaceful. And like we just talked about, like the golden age, where it was this beauty where people, you know, were about the earth and connected and community and friendship and love and passion. And all of those things, those things are being disconnected for a reason to try to make us argue and fight with each other over the silliest things, you know, even social media, you know, what's the point? It's a waste of energy, right? Yeah. It's a waste of energy. So that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, it was, it was unification with decentralization. It was both things, which almost seems oxymoronic, but not, it was, it's, it was sharing the best ideas amongst uh, a myriad of, of locales. And you can't do that now. That's not allowed. You know, it's dangerous, dangerous and misleading information, as they would say that. But it's like, that's what it was, right? Like, that's the information that it was. So why can't we share that? And it's only dangerous, I've learned, it's only dangerous to the profits of a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. That's what it's dangerous with. And this whole talk today, same exact thing. It's dangerous to the narrative in which we've been told because it breaks that narrative in which we've been told. Yep. All the more reason to get it out to as many people as possible. I love that right now the world is being united over copper wrapped wooden dowels. That's what it feels. <laughs> that, that is, It is everywhere. And I love it. Matt, um, as we come towards the end of the show, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about um, two supplements that, that you talk about all the time and actually you sell in your store. And I don't see these anywhere else. And I, I wanted to, to get right from the horse's mouth, as it were, uh, a little more understanding around dragon's blood and freshwater pearl, how you came upon these and, and why folks listening should be interested in incorporating these into their, their day. So those two are two very powerful superfoods, right? And I actually found, so if I start with dragon's blood, dragon's blood is the tree sap of the Draco tree. It's an ancient tree that was around during the Atlantean times. That's what they say it descends from. And it's a very interesting tree. The auric value on dragon's blood is over 3 million. And that is the antioxidant value of this plant, uh, tree sap. And the Chaga mushroom is about 50,000. Blueberries are like 10,000. Uh, you know, goji berries are like 20,000. Dragon's blood is 3 million. 
right? <laughs> so when I learned about the auric value and the healing potentials of dragon's blood, I thought this has got to be out there, right? And they showed studies where people would place dragon's blood on their skin or they would consume it internally. And within 72 hours, their skin would completely heal. And it was remarkable compared to the, 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 uh, the, the, the placebo, they, it would take about 14 days, right? So that was the big difference when they just place it onto the skin. And then when you're consuming dragon's blood, it can help alleviate uh, gut issues, help heal the brain. It's been shown to just do so many different things. And when I started learning about it, I thought this has got to be put out there, right? We need solutions because a lot of our food, unfortunately, has been stripped of so many nutrients and we're not getting those nutrients anymore. And dragon's blood can be a great one. It's very similar if people want to look into turpentine. That's another very powerful one that comes from inside the tree or maple syrup, which is absolutely delicious, right? And that's got a lot of beautiful, powerful benefits in there too because they're tapping the tree. So dragon's blood is a great one. We have it in powder form and we have it in capsule form. Most people like the capsules because they can just pop the capsules and it's easy to, you know, to utilize, but it's very healing for the skin. I've shown so many people where they've had eczema and or their hands were very bad where they had a lot of chapped hands and the skin did not look so good and they completely healed within a month. And I've shown all of the pictures and I show all the testimonials and I just take what people send me and put it up there. That's pretty much what it is so that people can see that as well too. And then when you go into pearls, pearls is a real interesting one. So when I was looking at this book from 1902, they talked about after about 50 years of being married, you would give somebody pearls. It was actually part of the gifting. And 75 years, you give them a diamond. So things have really changed when you think about that. But, you know, with the pearls, they're very energetic. They're very powerful, right? They're, they're taking on the properties of the moon. You also have the hydration factor of pearls. There's 2% water in a pearl. So with all of these frequencies and everything we're being bombarded with, we're being dehydrated. And pearls can actually work to help hydrate the skin. You can take pearl powder and you can place it together with coconut oil. And you can use it to either brush your teeth and use it as a toothpaste or you can place it on the skin, and what you'll start to notice is that connective tissue of the skin will start to regenerate, and your, your skin will begin to heal. It's also great at balancing the brain. It's also great at balancing the central nervous system, which is constantly being overstimulated because of all of this technology. If people are having sleep issues, Pearl works really well with that because there's magnesium carbonate inside of it, which is the best form to absorb into the body. And that helps people sleep better. I had a bunch of people who they were like, I was on magnesium supplements for years. Now I take a pearl or two capsule before bed and sleep like a baby. You know, and pearl is, when you look at it, was used in a lot of, you know, holistic healing. They used pearls. They would grind up pearls and they would, you know, feed it to people and they would begin to heal them. Because a lot of times they're too hot and pearl can help balance that as well too, right? Because the energetic principles but pearl powder, we have it in we have it in powder form. We also have it in capsules. But both of those are very powerful superfoods. And every time I'm doing my research and trying to pick, you know, what I would like to come out with next, I'm looking at organ pathways which are missing nutrients and trying to feed those pathways. And it was interesting because there was a study that came out that talked about how pearls can help heal people who have cataracts. Right. There was a lady. She basically put people on pearl powder for about 60 days and they all had cataracts. And about 70 percent of all those people after 60 days 
all got rid of their cataracts. So think about something that feeds the eyes, mm-hmm. that feeds the bones, that feeds the teeth, that feeds the brain, the skeletal system of the body. That's what pearl is. And in the Mayan culture, they used to take a pearl and they would replace a person's tooth with it and put it in their mouth. Pearly whites, right? <laughs> That's where we get that phrase from. So, you know, when we look at all of these things, we can be using all of these beautiful things from nature instead of all these poisonous things, which just result in more poisoning and more using of the poison. And then our body falls apart. But dragon's blood and pearl can be very healing and they are remarkable. And I like I said, try to put up everybody's testimonials and pictures and videos and things on our page so people can learn more. And I cite studies of all the different studies that people can look into with all these things. But, you know, when I really got into them, I thought these two really have to be out there because we need different things other than eat an apple a day. Right. Because the apple a day is not the apple from 1902 anymore. The apple a day has appeal on it and it's genetically modified and trying to remove the seed. And it's no longer the same thing in which we used to consume back in the day. Wonderful. And that's CultivateElevate.com, which is where folks can learn more about your, your supplements and also they can find you uh, on the social channels, Cultivate Elevate, correct? Yes. So we have CultivateElevate.com. We're on Telegram. Telegram channel has grown so much since we last talked. We got to 30,000 people. So it's just gone crazy and people have been sharing and I highly recommend people coming in there and talking like a community, right? Meet people, connect, be friends, communicate, you know, because our social media platforms don't allow that. There's a lot of anti-social tactics that are occurring on those. So with Telegram, we can do that. And then we also are on YouTube and Rumble at Cultivate Elevate as well. Wonderful. Matt Roski, we're going to let you go back to elevating the world and the frequencies of the folks out there. Appreciate you coming on the Terrain Theory Podcast once again. Happy to be here and we'll definitely do another in the future. All in the pineal room The after party, the after party In the pineal room Dr. Miranda and dear listener, welcome to the after party in the pineal room. Mike, you finally had a chance to listen to the new pineal room ditty. What do you think? So good, Ben. You are a pineal <laughs> room ditty machine. How do you make those? Not not to not to get all tech dorky, but is it just like GarageBand? What are you doing? Okay, there's an app on the iPhone. And I think it was, man, I think it might have been like Jimmy Kimmel or someone who I first saw use this. Looper HD. So you just have eight, you can create eight separate tracks and you just do a little recording that you loop and you can do all sorts of fun manipulations. So I just start with like, you know, you can, you, you set a little beat, you can tap it to set your, like your beat. These are all and internal. This is all internal. You know, you yeah. wear headphones. So, you know, you got your little metronome going and then I just bang out each separate track and I fiddle with it until I like it. And then I export it. It's, it's, it's so low. It's like so lo-fi from a, you know, professional audio standpoint. It doesn't standpoint, sound that way. <laughs> it's so much fun. Sounds <laughs> like you're like rocking with some steel drums in Jamaica. Yeah, no, that's what I do. I had like a little like hand, you know, one of those little like hand pan type drums and I just came up with that thing the other day. I don't know. You know how it is. Like you start messing around with an instrument that's nearby and the next thing you know, you have like a chorus or so a, some of those some of those sounds are analog recordings yes of, yes 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 oh yeah not, oh yeah it's not all but and some of them are in the box uh i would say if it no i mean i'd say all the instruments are you know real they're, they're performed okay yeah yeah those are performed yeah and it's you're just, just using that app to loop things just and, using the app yeah. to loop things and yeah it's you know dude whatever. it's fun ben crushing crushing <laughs> 
crushing. <laughs> yeah. Well, someday we'll put out the anthology of all the ditties. Uh, so I got all right. So here's a story I've been sitting on. Last Thursday, I had the FedEx truck pull up with my. Oh, I guess right. it's like Vigo or Vego. I don't know how you pronounce the the company name. The raised right. bed gardens. Right, 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 right. Um, four boxes she starts hauling out the back of her truck and she looks at it and they have the name of the thing on the side and it says you know raised bed garden blah, blah blah so she's like i've got raised bed gardens too i use a different so i get into the conversation with her um and i was like i'd love to you know what are you doing what are you growing like what's your configuration just making making conversation and and she's like the most unassuming like probably in her 50s you know it's a fedex driver she's got like old you know country blaring out the radio and she <laughs> grabs her phone. She's like, well, I'll show you. She's like, and she's like, it's a little weird. You know, it's, I get some funny looks from friends, but I put quartz in it and then I take copper wire and I wrap it around. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> you're doing electroculture. My FedEx delivery woman is doing electroculture in her, her home, like 10 miles up the road. And she showed me, she showed me two raised bed gardens and one in which she's doing, she's, she does quartz crystal, which Matt talked a little bit about. Um, she sprinkles quartz around the, in the, in the raised bed. And then she's got the electroculture and she had two raised bed gardens, um, maybe 10 feet apart. And like the one where she was doing this already had the seedlings like well established coming up and the other one hadn't started at all. Like nothing had sprouted. And we, so we, you know, we, I was like, I can't, I got her cell phone number. I'm like, I want to come up there. I want to see your operation. Oh, yeah. We bonded over electroculture. It's just everywhere. Like it is spreading like wildfire. And it is so cool to see. It tickled me. It tickled me, Michael. Yeah. Uh, it's the best. It's the best. I went and picked up some wire from, from my neighbor the other day. And uh, there was someone there uh, who was working with him who had, doesn't know a thing. Never heard of electroculture in his life. And he said, "What are you doing with this wire?" And I sort of looked at at Roy, and I was like, "Gardening." And this kid looked at us like we had ten heads. But you know, Roy and I were like, "Yeah, no, it's." And we just moved on. Yeah, we're just gardening. <laughs> so, and so, listener Roy is Mike's um, Mike's neighbor up the road. Uh, Mike has dog sat for the, yeah uh, for for Roy, and Roy has an incredible sort of compound going. I guess we don't want to blow up his spot too much, but he does, he, he's done a, a fair amount of growing, right? He's got trees. He's got a bunch of different trees, like apple trees, peach trees, right? Pear trees, bushes. He's been at this for a little while. Is he incorporating electroculture? Yeah. He is. Yeah. In fact, the, the, the episode, the first episode we did with Matt, uh, really piqued his interest. I remember he was fired up about that. And, and his, has he noticed a difference? That's a great question. You know, when, if I'm not mistaken, the first episode with Matt was sort of autumn, right? Yeah. It was the, it was the end of end. the growing season here, and I remember I threw mine out there. Uh, it was the end of the season, but you know uh, what I found, and what's funny about the antenna that I have in my primary garden is it's pretty tall. It's maybe twelve or fourteen feet tall, um, but the stick I used gets a little thin and wimpy towards the top. So it's, it's, it's like bowed over pretty extremely. And I hmm. thought like I should maybe fix that and maybe it should be perfectly straight. And it, I don't think it matters, man. I, I don't think I'm going to change a thing because my uh, Swiss shard grew right through the winter. It's like raring to go again in the spring, some spinach seeds that I threw in there in October, like on a lark are like big and beautiful and delicious already. Mm. And I, I think I was saying uh, after we hit record, the dandelion that just happened to like crop up in my garden beds before, you know, I just started gardening 
um, and, and planting things and preparing the soil this week. But like the dandelion was like the biggest dandelion I've ever, ever saw like foot and a half long leaves. And, uh, I really credit that, that antenna. I, I haven't talked to Roy about how his is, uh, coming along, but I, when I was over there, I did see that he's got it out. He's got it out and, and firing. You know, there's gotta be, there's gotta be like an over the counter, um, solution when your electroculture antenna can't stay erect. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it, 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 for a day I was like, I should, I should address that. And I was like, no, yeah. there's no need. It's all good. I'm overthinking yeah. it. Yeah. It needs, yeah. Well, it need it needs some probably electroculture bonding with Will Blunderfield, <laughs> no, just to, just to, just to harden up. Oh my God, this is a PG show, people. Okay, let's clean it up. <laughs> um, the course, so quartz is an interesting one. I'm gonna I'm gonna learn a little bit more when I go up to see Tina and her operation and find out exactly how she's using quartz. I didn't get a chance to to pick Matt's brain on that specifically, but. You know, he is talking about the the quartz and lapis lazuli and um, some of these other like stones and and such that are being used. Certainly, inspires me to uh, to put some of this stuff around the house. And it's interesting, you know, the way that he was describing being cooked. When you think about like our modern homes, we're really like we've created. We're living in microwaves slash gas chambers. Like that is what we're doing. We are and and the microwave is always on. Like it's basically on constant, like the reheat setting, because we're just cooking ourselves inside this this Wi-Fi and Bluetooth technology. And then we're introducing furnitures and all sorts of crap that's off gassing constantly. Mm -hmm. Materials that are off gassing. Yeah, that's that's what our home that's what the modern home is. I know it sounds hyperbolic, but it is not at all and uh, you know i'm glad that we hit led bulbs and again you can put all of this under what we often bring up organic versus synthetic and this these synthetic items have been normalized to such a degree that most people don't think twice about them they just don't a plug-in the the plug-in air freshener has become so pervasive yeah in homes i mean i remember calling my mom out on it when i went and visited them and they're you know they're listening right now hi mom and, <laughs> and I, I remember i remember the, like i had, it was it was i think maybe the first time down visiting their new house and i had my suitcase in my hand and i was like hauling it along the hall and all of a sudden it smashes into something along the walls like i would i was this wasn't touching the wall I wasn't scraping the wall and I look and it's a plug-in air freshener and she's got them all over the place. And I was like, you got to get rid of those. And you're, you're just like poison. You're poisoning yourself. There's nothing good in that. Uh, and I think they I took know. them. I think they unplugged them. And she'll do that. And then she'll go, see, I'm learning. I'm listening, Benjamin. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> so, you know. Hi, Mrs. Clap, Hardy. Clap for Donna. Clap for Donna. She, they, are, they are listening. They are learning. But, but it, you know, I, I think be, you, you go into like a drugstore. You go into a grocery store. You go into a, a Home Depot. And you just. You assume that if it's being sold to you, the agencies that are in charge of regulating this stuff is make they're making yep. sure that it's safe. Exactly. Right? They wouldn't sell you something that was slowly killing you or poisoning you. And that's so you come back to this like house as a microwave slash gas chamber. And so the entire household gets sick. Here it is. It's it's er, you know, late fall, early winter, and and why is that the whole, my, you know, my whole family got sick. It has to be a germ. It has to be a virus. Don't tell me that a virus doesn't 
exist because why my you know my kid gets sick and then we all get sick well you're all sitting inside this gas chamber slash microwave eating the same poison food don't tell me it's a virus yeah i know once you start to put this this lens on these glasses on it it all becomes impossibly clear i'm Imp- finding impossibly clear and then you start going well i'm going to spend as much time as i can outdoors in the sun like feet on the ground like feet on the ground looking up at the sun yeah and what more you know what more, drinking structured water what more yeah. is there i had a woman i had a woman reach out uh send an email and she had listened to the allison sinatra episode and I think we asked Allison, what, you know, what are your non-negotiables? And she said in the morning, she gets up, she goes outside, puts her bare feet on the ground, faces east and says, thank you and drinks water. And the woman was like, why does she do that? And I, and I thought, first of all, I thought it was pretty self-explanatory. I think Allison had, had explained that in the episode, but, but I thought, okay, how would, how would I respond to this? And really there's science in all of it, isn't there? There's science in grounding the benefits of grounding. There's science in getting sunlight on your skin within the first like hour to three hours of waking up, that early morning sun. There's science to gratitude and there's science to gratitude in the presence of water that you then drink and also charging that water in the sun. It's actually probably one of the most powerful morning rituals you could possibly have. Yeah. Besides, I mean, you'd also want to strip down and point your anus to the sun. Right, Michael? (laughs) PG show, moving on. It's still a little cool in the mornings around here. I've been I wake up and I make a, a little fire in my fire pit. I'm back to that routine. I had a friend here uh, from out of town a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't seen him in years and uh, reconnected and he spent the night and that was it was funny. I was already up early and out doing whatever I do, doing my routine. And he's like, morning fire, huh? And to me it just seems like, yeah, I mean it's chilly. You make a fire. Most people think like nighttime bonfire come over roast some marshmallows barbecue bonfire but it's like my fire is is stoked up first thing are you using are you using the same firewood that you use on your illegal wood stove inside <laughs> uh it's a mix there was a uh, a pine tree that we lost in the ice storm i think two winters ago that was sitting in large rounds by the fire pit all last year that I never got to splitting. And I finally got to splitting that. So this year I've been, I've been burning pine seasoned pine that burns very quickly. And it's, it's better to use that for the, for the bonfire because uh, it'll burn too quick to burn indoors. And you've basically just got that thing cooking all day. The, the, the fire pit. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in this time of year, I just started getting into the garden and uh, sifting compost. I was telling you earlier, um, the last couple of days, uh, barefoot, my feet were, were wrecked yesterday because it's like, it's all fine and good to be barefoot on a beautiful day, but like almost like sun exposure, you have to like build up your sun callus. You sort of have to build up your barefoot callus a little bit too. My, my heels were just like aching last night. Uh, I was in the tub. I used some of the the oils you gave me for Christmas. Thank you, Ben. (laughs) And Nurse Nancy gave me some CBD oil. I put a little bit of that in there too. Shout out Nurse Nancy. Um, And shout out Allison Sinatra that you just mentioned. I was thinking about Allison. I want to reach out to her and see how she's doing. Um, But it's it's all good stuff. But yeah, my fire pit basically burns all day. I also find it keeps the bugs at bay a little bit. Even if it's a, a scorching hot day, just having a little bit of the smoke in the air keeps keeps the bugs off. And do you, okay, do you, how many meals a day are cooked or warmed up over that fire? 
as we like like hit our stride in the season a lot yeah. you know or i'm like always making a tea or something or you know uh, i love like making burgers over the the fire and it's just the best it's just the best especially because i've only been doing this with you know the last couple of years and uh now that the season's upon us it is awesome but to circle back to the air fresheners real quick uh i went to a little gardening party at ashokan uh last week that our friend krista is doing uh true foods hv shout out krista speroni um also an incredible musician she'll be at the hoot this year but she you know before we got into we were she had cleared this huge sort of like 50 by 60 foot area maybe even bigger that had been just sort of like overtaken by uh quote-unquote invasives and she wants to make sort of a pollinator herb garden up there at the top of hoot hill and um so it was a work party we spread cardboard out there's a team taking plastic off the cardboard there was a team putting the cardboard down spreading mulch over the cardboard and then building hugel culture beds and sprinkling in mycelium and sawdust and to help break down some of the logs and she had a really great operation but the first thing we did besides uh stand in a circle and introduce ourselves and shake our bodies out a little bit was burn some sage is the point i'm trying to get to mm. it's like we don't need to plug something into an outlet to create i understand the instinct to want to like create a a pleasant uh, aroma in your home but like can we get, get back to basics burn some sage or maybe a little bit of incense or, or, or there's so many other options that are not synthetic and the synthetic ones i guess it's because of their product placement at the grocery store it's like you're checking out oh well that's nice and i'll throw that in my cart but like oh my god when you when you rem it's sort of like when i stopped drinking alcohol it's like there's a lot of delicious things i can still drink it's 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 not like i have to be without or feel like i'm punishing myself it's like just like broaden your perspective there's other things to to burn or to drink or to to, to do just like yes. it's a, they're just remember the basics just remember yes yeah, well sage doesn't have you know the the 10 million dollar marketing plan no. behind it <laughs> no exactly it grows in your backyard here we here here we are again here we are again yeah yeah, yeah. um well, I mean, what you know, what are some, what are some of the new things that you learned today that you're going to incorporate? Anything, anything uh, that jump jumps out at you? Well, I gotta say, I mean, a lot. I love that man. I love his. I think I mentioned his tenacity and like his just like fearlessness and positivity and like calling out the goofiness and just like forging ahead with no nonsense, common sense, practical solutions for food, water, and energy. It's like preach brother he's he's the brother i i never knew i i was missing you know or, you know what i mean yeah i just feel like he's such a kindred spirit i love matt roski so much um but just at the very end i was i'm glad you asked about the dragon's blood and the pearl powder i had seen him on insta talk about these two superfoods and um i definitely super keen to try and get those into rotation especially the pearl powder as like a toothpaste substitute with coconut oil and pearl powder like yes please bring it on and uh and dragon's blood being like whatever he said like some magnet order of yeah, magnitude three million compared to you know like ten thousand found in yeah blueberries. chaga or, or goji yeah. berry that things yeah. that you know i have and love but like um and i never even heard of dragon's blood before he came on the scene and that it's a sap 
that comes out of a tree. So in some ways, you know, a little bit similar to a shilajit, which is yep. like a mineral that weeps from the earth, really. And uh, and that he called out maple syrup. And I was like, eh, I got my maple syrup. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm good. <laughs> I was like, "Don't talk to me about maple syrup." I we're well, the in whole, the like home of yeah, dude. Well, this whole conversation around antioxidants is something that Zach Bush put on my radar a couple of years ago, uh, talking about like post workout to like really yeah. to go for like a big blueberry smoothie, and that's definitely something I've adopted. But like, imagine what what a post smoothie with dragon's blood post-workout smoothie it's like bring it on i can't wait i'm gonna actually i'm gonna try i'm gonna ask you to pump the brakes because you man like you're by a fire all day long you're you're now on like the dandelion superfood thing like i see i don't even know if you can see me in your rearview mirror anymore you're so far (laughs) you're so you're so far ahead i'm like the tiny objects are actually farther away (laughs) than they appear i'm trying to catch up over here well, I think I always, whenever you bring this up, I feel obligated to bring up that. Okay, I shouldn't use this word anymore. For a long time, I actually was unemployed. I was okay. unemployed. Yeah. And I had, this is what I made my business. It was like uh, embodying the work, yeah. as Dr. Rob Williams said, because I had the time and the bandwidth. And it, it's not lost on me that so many people don't, including my bestie and co-host, Ben Hardy. It's like, you're you're working long days, right? You have yeah. clients and responsibilities and hours in front of the computer. I do have that in fits and starts as the music world starts to come back online again. I am finding myself having to put in more hours with the summer hoot coming around the corner. I'm finding I'm having to put more hours. You know, I have responsibilities in quote unquote work, but for a couple of years I didn't man. So I like, I really had the opportunity, this gift, this complete blessing to, to embody the work and have the time to like, not just dabble with things, but like really commit to them. Right. So like cooking over a fire every day like some people might do that once or twice like oh that was fun to boil some tea over a fire it's just part of what's normal and that came up with this conversation with matt and it's just why i love his consistency because i think that's what's going to tip the scale is normalizing some Mm. of these ideas and not again like i mentioned like not just the band-aid culture not just the remedy that you reach for when things are out of balance but you build your foundation with these principles and these modalities and these ideas and these superfoods and these habits these rituals and then they become normalized so like that's that's what it feels like now and it's amazing how quickly it is happening ben like i remember early on when you you and i were on this journey and i've i've got i've lost track of time right i remember like it was such a big deal to like go and buy uh wool socks with no synthetics in it right i just and like to to try and clean up my wardrobe and, you know, it's 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 not it takes a long time to like completely refurnish your furniture or your wardrobe to like start to remove synthetics. But the things that have been within my control are very much within my control now. And, uh, you know, it's I, I, I appreciate you noticing and I am certainly feeling the reward. Um, but I, I always want to add that caveat. Uh, that I have had the the bandwidth to do so. And so just to the listener, just know like um, just one day at a time, one step at a time, one thing at a time. Don't feel like you're failing because you're not, you don't have your electroculture antenna and you're not making dandelion leaf chips and uh, tinctures. And I have the time to do it, you know? And so it's a blessing and I'm grateful and I, I don't take it for granted. 
Yeah, I guess it's one thing to have the time. It's another to to commit to using it as you have. So credit credit back to you. And no, I would say to the listener, you're not failing if you're not able to do this. Only I am failing because I have to look across at this man uh, at least <laughs> once or twice a week for over an hour. And um, I'm reminded of my my lagging behind in this thing. Uh, you know what's funny? <laughs> the other day when you were when you were setting up your veggie garden beds and you're like, God, this is tedious. I'm like, and I think I've pinged you later in the day, but it was like, now you know how I listen to so many podcasts in a day. It's like I sit there. That's what I did. That's what I did. I was like, I'll just catch up on podcasts. This is how it works. It's yeah. like, yeah, you build your systems, you build your garden beds, and, and you've got, you know, it's funny because today was my first like full on day of gardening, like, as I mentioned. And I felt this like sort of reverence for the seeds and for the soil and for the bees and the hummingbirds that I didn't want to like tarnish the atmosphere with like, some of the, you know, the dark truth bombs that were sort of coming through my phone via mm. Jason Kristoff or, or what have you, who I love. I mean, it's important to like catch up and know what we're up against and like and have a reality check on like the the media dystopia uh, psychological warfare that <laughs> that is sort of looming in the mainstream. But I didn't want to bring that energy into my first planting of the year. That felt really good. I brought my uh First of all, every seed I planted went in my mouth first, and that got really funny when I was planting parsley seeds because they're so teeny, teeny, tiny. <laughs> I was like, I, like it would have been okay if I swallowed some, but I, like, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to like waste a seed down my throat. So like, um, but I planted spinach, and Swiss chard, and cilantro, and parsley this morning. They all went in my mouth first, and then they went in the ground, and I've. Again, this is only shit you can do when you've got the time. I was structuring the water that I was then. I had my analima wand outside and I was using a watering can um, that someday will be made of copper, but for now is actually just made of plastic. Uh, but I was structuring the water before it went on. And I am not going to structure the water every time I water the garden all season long. Um, it was rainwater. I finally hooked up my, my rainwater collection tanks this week. And, uh, so uh, it just felt so good, man, to like give it that little extra TLC, you know, the saliva what? seed and the structured water. It's like and I brought out the pyramid you gave me for Christmas and I put that right in the middle of the garden. It's like, let's just do it. Let's bring out all the all the all the voodoo. I love it. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see your 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 yield this yeah. summer and, and fall. You know, it was <clears throat> there was some some humor in the fact that most people most people do raised bed gardens because you don't have to bend over as much. So you spare your back. Yep. And it was my back that was absolutely fried from putting totally. these raised bed gardens together. Totally. Uh, it was like a, you know, two, three hour project. It was just so tedious, but I did do exactly what you said. Caught up on my, caught up on my podcast. And I had thought about, I've got a bunch of seeds that I need to get in. And I was like, I'm going to, why wouldn't I put them in my mouth? Yes. Would, would the next step be just to swallow them and then poop? Poop like into <laughs> it's like that's like making your own fertilizer, right? It's like yeah. that yep. is so funny. PG, PG, PG podcast people keep it PG. The other thing I want to mention because my journey into this space sort of coincided with that permaculture course I yeah. took, which I'm sure we talked about early on. Oh, yeah. Um, but what I love about Matt and his work around electroculture and ether and ionosphere and and all this and all the you know the schauburgers and and all these like 
thinkers and researchers that he is so well steeped with. Um, to me, all that work is just an extension of permaculture, mm. of like self-organizing systems, like ecological design science. That's what it is. Permaculture, uh, ecological design science, I think, is sort of a nice tidy way of explaining what it is. I mean, you could say just a fancy word for common sense gardening, but ecological design science, but it's just it's just extrapolating that concept of like what uh, you know, how broad can we take this term ecology to include the quintessence, the fifth essence, the sixth essence, to include all of these na natural systems into the 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 design? Um, it's so beautiful because he's taking that to levels that I didn't even fathom, especially when I took that course. I was like, well, you got some soil and you got some sun. You put your water tanks uphill, collect some rainwater, like gravity, fun, you know, <laughs> or whatever. But it's like so much, it's just so much actually more beautiful and mysterious and magical than I ever imagined. Yeah, yeah. well said, well said. Well, folks, if uh, you want to go learn about electroculture, more about electroculture, be sure to check out Matt's website. Um, cultivateelevate.com and follow him on social because every day he's posting like two, three, four times a day. Oftentimes these are like testimonial posts of folks submitting to him the, um, the effects basically of electroculture on their gardens and seeing is believing it's like following Veda Austin and some of her work around water. Like eventually you just look at it and go, okay, this, you, you can't deny it anymore. There's something here and there's no reason not to try wrapping copper around a piece of wood and sticking it in your garden. Uh, it takes no time, no energy, no money. Um, same with like pennies in the soil and, and so on. Yeah. Long live Matt Roski. Long live Matt Roski. All right. Well, folks, nothing you heard here should be taken as medical advice as neither Mike nor I are medical experts. Remember that you are light and you are love. You are your primary healthcare provider. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one. Mm -hmm.